Welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman. And this morning, I'm joined by Linda Carlisle. It's Monday, November 13th, 2023. In this episode, we'll talk about the news of the day. Five American service members have died in a helicopter crash in the eastern Mediterranean. Russian troops pushing to regain territory in eastern Ukraine. Continental considering measures to improve its automotive division. Chinese company Chichacha preparing to launch an overseas version of its database. And the upcoming meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden in San Francisco. Story number one. Five American service members have died in a helicopter crash in the eastern Mediterranean during a routine training exercise, as reported by the BBC. The crash occurred while the aircraft was refueling. The U.S. has increased its operations in the region due to the conflict between Israel and Hamas. President Joe Biden expressed condolences to the victims and their families. The exact location of the crash was not specified, but the U.S. has deployed two aircraft carriers and other military assets to the eastern Mediterranean in response to concerns that the conflict could escalate and involve other regional actors such as Hezbollah. Have you seen the news about the tragic helicopter crash in the eastern Mediterranean? It's a stark reminder of the risks our servicemen and women face every day. They're out there, far from home, putting their lives on the line for our country. We need a strong military presence in the region, especially given the escalating tensions between Israel and Hamas. It's a strategic necessity to prevent the conflict from drawing in other parts of the region. Indeed, it's a tragic incident. Mark and my heart goes out to the families of the fallen. But I have to disagree with you on the necessity of a heightened military presence. Yes, the tensions are escalating, but continually increasing our military presence, I believe, can exacerbate the situation. Instead, we need to prioritize diplomatic efforts and look for a peaceful resolution to the conflict. I understand where you're coming from, Linda, but look at the bigger picture. Iran is backing Hezbollah and Hamas. We can't just sit back and hope diplomacy works when there are clear indications of potential threats. It's a tough call, but I believe we need to ensure our national security first. Mark, I understand the concerns about national security, and it's valid. But... We've seen in the past, like in Iraq and Afghanistan, that military intervention can lead to long-term instability and humanitarian crises. Diplomacy, on the other hand, takes time, but it's a more sustainable solution. We need to give peace a chance, Mark. You're right, Linda. Diplomacy should always be the first option. But the reality is, we live in an unpredictable world, and we can't always rely on it. The military is our insurance policy, a necessary one at that. I hear you, Mark. But we also need to consider the human cost of these insurance policies. There's a balance to be struck, and I believe we need to lean more towards diplomacy and peace-building efforts. Story number two. According to the Washington Post, Russian troops have begun a push to regain territory near Bakhmut, a city in eastern Ukraine that fell into Russian hands in May. Ukrainian troops have made some advances in the area since launching their summer counteroffensive but the Russian forces are now becoming more active and attempting to recapture previously lost positions. The counteroffensive has resulted in only incremental gains for Ukraine, with heavy losses and difficulty breaking through Russian lines in the south. Russian forces are also continuing their push to encircle Avdiivka, a key target in the war. The city has come under frequent attacks, with one civilian killed and several others wounded in recent shelling, as reported by the Washington Post. Can you believe what's happening over in Ukraine, Linda? 
It's classic asymmetric warfare. One side using unconventional strategies to try and overcome a possibly stronger opponent. This isn't a new concept, of course. We've seen it before in the Vietnam War, the Iraq conflict, and even now in the Yemen Civil War. Absolutely. It's a devastating strategy that can have dire consequences for the civilian population. We're seeing this in the case of Ukraine, where innocent civilians are caught in the crossfire. The unfortunate 64-year-old man in Kherson, for instance, who was killed when Russian shells hit his yard. His wife was also injured and is now hospitalized. The human cost is always tremendous in these situations. And then there's the strategic aspect of it. Look at how Moscow's forces are attempting to press forward in the northeast, likely to distract Kiev and minimize the number of troops it can send to key southern and eastern battles. It's a classic diversion tactic. And it's interesting to note how the Ukrainian troops are responding to this. They've switched from defense to an active defense approach, which is a significant shift in strategy. They're now looking for weak points in Russian defenses and ramping up artillery strikes. That's true. And it's a good point, Linda. The dynamics of this conflict are constantly evolving, and it's a grim reminder of how these situations can escalate quickly. It also makes predicting outcomes and complications challenging. But one thing we can be certain of is that as this conflict continues, it's the innocent civilians who will continue to bear the brunt of it. Sadly, you're right, Mark. And it's not just the physical damage and loss of life. There's also the psychological impact on these communities, and that's something we mustn't overlook. It's a sad reality of modern warfare. The human cost is always devastating. Story number three. Continental is considering measures to improve the competitiveness of its automotive division, but has not confirmed reports that it may cut 5,500 jobs worldwide. According to Reuters, the company stated that it is exploring options to strengthen the division, potentially including changes to administrative structures to enable quicker decision-making and cost savings. Concrete decisions will be communicated internally and then made public. German business publication manager Magazine previously reported that the multinational automotive parts manufacturer could cut jobs, with over 1,100 of the cuts potentially occurring in Germany. The company aims to save 400 million euros, $427 million per year. The division currently employs around 25,000 people, approximately a quarter of Continental's total workforce. The cuts are expected to primarily affect administrative roles, with production and development jobs likely to be unaffected. Continental recently announced expectations of a strong fourth quarter for its automotive business and higher growth than previously predicted in the global auto market for this year, but a slightly more conservative outlook for next year. Would you look at that, Linda? Continental's looking at slashing around 5,500 jobs worldwide. That's a hefty slice out of their workforce, isn't it? I mean, it's a tough call, but from a business perspective, this could be the kind of shakeup they need to stay competitive. Yes, Mark. It's indeed a substantial number. However, let's not forget that each job represents a person with a family and financial responsibilities. While the company might be looking at cost savings and increased agility, the impact on the lives of these employees could be profound. I'm not dismissing the human factor here. It's always a tough blow when job cuts are on the table. But let's also consider the business side of things. Continental's in a highly competitive market, and if these moves can keep the company afloat and prevent even larger layoffs down the line, isn't it worth considering? Well, Mark, that's a classic utilitarian argument. But it's also important to consider the potential fallout. 
job cuts of this magnitude can lead to decreased morale among the remaining staff. They might fear for their own job security, leading to decreased productivity. And let's not forget about the potential loss of skills and institutional knowledge that these employees bring to the table. You're hitting the nail on the head there, Linda. It's a delicate balancing act, isn't it? Ensuring the company's survival and profitability, while also taking care of the employees. I guess in the end, it's about finding that sweet spot where both ends meet. And perhaps this situation also calls for a broader discussion about the sustainability of our current economic model. If major companies are frequently resorting to mass layoffs to stay competitive, maybe it's time to rethink how we define competitiveness and success in the business world. Story number four. Chinese company information provider Kichacha has cleared a data export security assessment mandated by the government and is preparing to launch an overseas version of its database in multiple countries, as reported by Reuters. Kichacha is the first enterprise credit information provider to pass this test. The Chinese government has introduced cybersecurity, data, and privacy laws in recent years, requiring organizations with large user bases to undergo assessments and obtain approvals for data usage. These regulations also include security reviews for data exports. Has anyone noticed how Chichacha's move seems to indicate that Chinese businesses are trying to adapt to these new data security measures? It's interesting to see them not only conforming to the new rules, but also looking to expand beyond domestic borders. Yes, Mark, but it's not so simple. While it's encouraging to see Kichacha pass the security assessment, it's important to remember that these laws were implemented for a reason. The Chinese government has taken serious steps to protect user data and national security. But isn't it also a sign of China's strengthening digital economy and its readiness to compete at a global level? By setting high standards of data security, aren't they fostering an environment that promotes trust and reliability? Mark, I'm not arguing with the benefits of data security. But in the process of protecting national security and user data, it could potentially lead to a stifling of innovation and restrict freedom of information. The broad definition of spying is also quite concerning. Well, I mean, they're trying to safeguard their digital sovereignty, Linda. In an increasingly connected world where cyber threats are real, I think it's crucial to have such measures in place. Also, isn't that what most countries are doing? Yes, Mark. But there's a fine line between protecting data and exerting control. It's a complex issue that needs careful examination and a balanced approach. Striking that balance between maintaining domestic digital sovereignty and encouraging global digital cooperation is key. Definitely, Linda. It's a fine line indeed. But let's not forget that this is a step forward for companies like Chichacha, who are trying to navigate these intricate laws and still make strides in the global market. We'll just have to see how it plays out. Certainly, Mark. It will be interesting to see how this evolves and what it means for the future of data security and privacy laws, not only in China but worldwide. It's a conversation that needs to continue. Story number five. Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden are set to meet in San Francisco, marking their first in-person talks in a year. The meeting comes amid a deteriorating geopolitical climate, with the two countries on opposing sides of conflicts in Ukraine and Israel. According to The Guardian, the leaders will seek to stabilize relations in a fraught environment with China hoping to attract foreign businesses back to the country and the U.S. implementing sweeping restrictions on the export of advanced technology to China. 
The issue of Taiwan remains a key concern, as Biden has expressed strong support for the self-governing island. Good evening, listeners. We've got a packed agenda today. The much-anticipated Xi-Biden meeting in San Francisco, against the backdrop of the Ukraine and Israel conflicts, coupled with the U.S. stance on Taiwan. It's a high-stakes game that could redefine geopolitical alignments. I see Biden's forcefulness on Taiwan as a strong stand against Beijing's territorial claims. A much-needed course correction from his predecessor's stance. Well, Mark, I see your point, but I'd argue it's not as black and white. Yes, Biden's stance on Taiwan is stronger, but we must remember that this isn't a simple game of chess. This is about the lives and futures of the people in Taiwan. We need to tread carefully, not just throw punches. Oh, I agree, Linda. It's not a game, but sometimes a strong stance is necessary to prevent future conflicts. Look, the upcoming export restrictions on advanced technology to China, it might seem harsh, but it's a necessary precaution to protect our technological edge. But Mark, these restrictions could stifle innovation and cooperation. What about the Bletchley Declaration regarding the risks posed by Frontier AI? Isn't that a sign we should work together instead of creating more hurdles? And remember, these restrictions could have a ripple effect on the global tech industry. Well, Linda, I reckon it's better to risk stifling cooperation than to risk national security. And speaking of cooperation, how about that potential U.S.-China climate agreement? Now that's an area where I'd love to see more collaboration. That's a point we agree on, Mark. Climate change is a global issue that necessitates global collaboration. Despite the political and economic differences, there are areas where the U.S. and China can and should work together. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.